We said two weeks ago when we started this series that God came down, that sinners are saved, that hurts are healed, and because of that, humans have hope. Amen? That's what this season is all about. And you know, before I get too far into this, I just want to kind of set the record straight, kind of through all the years that uh, I've been pastoring here, is many have implied that I have difficulty with cats. And so I just got to set the record straight and that some of you believe there's a coldness in my heart uh, for cats, and I just got to set it straight today. Um, I just want to go on the record and say, I love cats. God loves cats. Jesus loves cats. Okay, I just have to say that, and, and uh, our church loves cats. You know, we're kind of doing some changes here, and next Sunday we're going to make it like a cat-friendly service, and, um, and uh, we're going to come, and you bring your cats, and you can offer them to Jesus. No, I'm just... <laughs> no, don't bring your cats next week. I'm highly allergic to them. That's kind of a uh, catalyst into my talk today on <laughs> compassion. <laughs> this is a talk on compassion today, Okay. It really is. So if you had to answer the question, who is the most compassionate human being who ever lived? Now, this is the church, and this is not a trick question. I mean, who would you say the most compassionate human being that has ever lived? Who would you say? You might say Jesus. Yeah, you might say that, okay? And Christmas is Jesus. That, that's what this is about, because the impact of Jesus on this world is greater than any human being who ever lived, ever, ever, ever. And so I want you to know this. In fact, it is so deep that it's gotten into us. It's woven so deeply into our world and everything we do that uh, you look at this is that in many ways, people don't recognize just how deep his impact has been. And I kind of want to show you a little bit of that in scripture and then also in stories throughout history. Not all of them, obviously. We don't have enough time. But today we're looking at Jesus' compassion and how it changed the world that God's love came down that God's love came down. And you can't go very far into the New Testament without being struck by this. One day a leper approaches Jesus on his knees and begs for help if Jesus is willing, he says. Because in that day, leprosy was shunned and you understand that and most people were not willing to even help them. In Matthew 8, 3, Jesus is filled with compassion. He says, I am willing, be clean. In Mark 5, there's a demon-possessed guy and nobody will do anything to help this guy. The Bible says that he cuts himself, and it's a really strange condition, but Jesus has compassion on him, and he heals him. Mark 9, he has compassion on a tormented son of a desperate father. He can't get help anywhere else. In Luke chapter 7, and verse 13, there's a widow, and she's weeping over her loss, and this is a really tender verse. It says, when, G when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry, and he restored her, restored her loss. You see, this isn't just in healing stories. This is in a, one day a woman is caught in adultery and you think Jesus as a religious leader would really go after her and he stands up for her and one day there's a tax collector named Zacchaeus and you think all the religious leaders are gonna get on his case but Jesus says, I'm going to go to your home today. You can't read the life of Jesus without asking what made this man so compassionate. And it's, it's really important, but it's widely misunderstood in our day. There's a general image sometime of Jesus um, in our culture that he's compassionate because he's probably one of those highly sensitive feelers, you know, a kind of tender, emotional guy who, you know, just can't stand to see or experience pain. 
But here's the problem with that picture of Jesus. Jesus is the same guy who actually inflicted a fair amount of pain himself. When he thought some people are going to mistreat other people, he would go after them. And you picture this image in your mind one time at the temple. This is Jesus now. He made a whip out of cords and drove all those people out of the temple area, right? He scattered the coins from the money changers. He overturned their tables. And he told them in John 2, get out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market, right? A show of hands on this one. How many of you got so mad this week that you threw furniture around and went after somebody with a whip? Not many people. One hand over here. Wow, okay. That had to be an amazing week. But Jesus did that. He did that. And we understand that. We see through the Bible, though, we have a compassionate Lord and Savior, but also there's times he had a righteous anger. See, Jesus' compassion did not come from a squeamish, highly sensitive, emotional nature. It came from something bigger and deeper than that. It came from what Jesus saw when he looked at human beings and Jesus' crankiness and compassion came from the same source and that was his outrageous love for every individual that he came in contact with. And his pain, he was moved. When, when anyone is undervalued, he was pained by it. And when he looked at them, he saw something deeper and now today we are beneficiaries of that movement. Let me take a moment to explain this because when somebody gets really good at something, it changes what they see. When you've gotten really good at something in your life, it changes what you see, and so does it in my life as well. If you know a sport really well, a scout can look at a baseball swing or a golf swing and just recognize this person really knows what they're doing. You know, that this person is above or way above average in what they do. See, mastery involves this. Mastery involves this, that you have to understand that great confidence and great expertise always involves a gift of perception. Being able to see what other people don't see, even though they're looking at the same thing, right? We said this two weeks ago, observation leads us to revelation, which leads to transformation, if you remember that. And we have to understand as we come to Scripture that Jesus is the master, and he mastered human relationships, there's nobody else like him. Therefore, so when Jesus looked at somebody, he saw something. He saw in them the image of God. He never looked at a person without seeing the image of God first, and it pierced his heart because you realize the word compassion comes from the word co-suffering? Compassion is co-suffering with somebody? We have Jesus that paid the ultimate penalty in suffering. He would see a leper, a prostitute, a beggar, or somebody despised, a tax collector, a Gentile, and he would think, oh, Father, oh, Father, you've crowned this one with glory and honor. You made this one the ruler over so much. You put everything under their feet, this creature that I see who is disguised right now as a, as a leper or as a tax collector, as a prostitute, he would treat these people like they wore a crown, like they were children of royalty. Jesus was the master. And instead of telling others what he wanted, he told them who they are. 
Do you have a vision inside of you with the people that you see every day, the people that you don't see? It's easy with the people we do see many times, but with the people we don't see many times, or don't even know, I should say, that do you see them for who they are, not just what you want them to do? I love this line. There's a great Christian writer. You probably heard of his name. George MacDonald lived about 100 years ago. He often wrote about princesses. And someone asked him, why do you do that so much? And he said, it's because every little girl is a princess. And he wasn't being metaphorical around that. He just said, if you think about it, a princess is the daughter of a king. A prince is just the son of a king. And that's every human being who's made and loved by God. And we all know this and we hunger for this so badly inside of our lives. There's a great author and preacher named Mike Bro and tells a story while putting his daughter to bed. He said she would not go to sleep. She was like three or four years old, that age where it can be a lot of work putting them down. Parents, you know that. So he put her down to go to sleep, and he came back an hour later. She's still awake. He said to her, what are you doing? She said, I'm thinking. He said, what are you thinking? She said, I'm thinking about someday when I'm all grown up, I'm going to be a bride. I'm going to wear a big dress, and you're going to be my prince. Because she was at the age, he said, where she's getting brides and princesses and princes all mixed up. And he said, I can't be your prince. She said, what do you mean you can't be my prince? I want you to be my prince. Why can't you be my prince? He says, well, I'm already mommy's prince. And society frowns on that kind of thing. <laughs> so I can't be your prince. She said, well, then who is going to be my prince? He said, I don't know. It might be Tommy. could be Billy. might be Eddie. might be any number of little guys. Might not. Probably be somebody you don't even know right now. In fact, Really, the best idea is when it comes time for a prince to be chosen, let daddy decide who the prince is going to be. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> I like that one. I like that one. See, this stuff goes down deep inside of us, that if you're a woman here, married, single, young, or old, you need to hear this. You're a daughter of a king. See, if you're a man today and you're here and you have scars and you're, you're wounded and you're carrying that with you. You're a son of a king. You stand tall. We need to be told this more. We need to be told this more so that we can stand tall, right? And Jesus changes the world because he sees us. You go through this, this, these encounters with people and you, you will see this in him. You, you'll see what's so remarkable about him saying this to other people. And I just want to encourage you today. Will you tell somebody that they're a daughter of the king or a son of the king? Come on, would you, would you move beyond yourself and tell somebody that today? So many people are walking around discouraged and depressed and hopeless. But Jesus treated everybody like this. And most people, especially the poor, the sinners, were not used to being treated this way. Oh, no. By the way, they're still not. They're still not treated that way. And let me tell you something. You and I are part of a greater movement to do this. Go through the Old Testament. These, these roots go so down deep. Go over, there's four categories of people that, that God's word continually talks about. In Deuteronomy 14, in James 1.17, in, in, in James 1.27, excuse me, in Isaiah 1.17, he says, you be real careful about how you treat widows and orphans and aliens and the poor. Because in the ancient world, there's no support system for them. They're going to get trashed. But he says, if you take care of them, you will be blessed. 
God says, but I made them, I love them, so they're, that's my people, that's my community, and, and you, you go after those that are being trashed in this world. And Jesus does this, and so he's fulfilling the vocation, the calling of God's people, Israel, and people sense this in him, and he adds other people that usually are pushed aside in his day, those who were considered impure. But I want you to know something today. God wants us to love the ones that we don't even understand today. God's calling you and me. There's so many people we don't understand. There's sometimes I don't understand people. I'm just like, I don't know what's going on. I'm sure you don't understand me sometimes. Right? But God wants us to love the ones that we don't even understand, to invite them to do life with us, to treat them with love and treat them with respect. And so being a person after God's heart means I especially seek out and care for people like the impure or the malformed or the deformed. They were thought to not reflect God's glory and majesty, the blind, the lame, the deaf. Jesus has a special heart for them. People were, who were thought to be religiously inferior, tax collectors, prostitutes, religious leaders that were shunned, Jesus especially welcomes them. And you look at that, those that were low on the social ladder of all things in the Bible, women, children, Gentile, Jesus treats them like they're at the very top. Jesus is saying in his teaching, in his life, this world's treatment of human beings have been weighed by my Father and found wanting. It's ridiculous. And now the kingdom of God has become present through you and me. Through you and me and that we as his body go prize other people and we see the crown and we tell people, you're a child of the king. And all of his healings and his conversations that he had, it's, he's willing to sit down and have fellowship with those that would get him in the most trouble. And the heroes of, of his parables over and over, the marginalized, those were the ones that he put at the very top. See, Jesus' vision of human beings captured the moral imagination of the world, and it still does. It's captured the wonder and the, the amazement of humanity. They are not random blobs of tissue. They were carefully thought out, and they are a mirror of the divine nature of God. And so if your heart is working right now, if your heart is working today, that when you see another person, you gasp and say, the image of God. I want us to try this today right here, because this is a great laboratory, because this should be a place that's easy to do this. Sometimes it's not so easy when we leave these doors and we go into the world that we really look at people and say, that's the image of God. That's the fingerprint of God upon them. So turn to the person next to you and gasp, oh, image of God, oh, image of God. Come on, I want to hear the air sucked out of the room. Oh, image of God, image of God, image of God, Right? That's what we're called to do. Because we are reminded in Romans chapter five and verse eight that God demonstrates his love for us. We said this two weeks ago. God said, I'm just not content with just saying, I love this world. I am gonna demonstrate my love for them by sending Jesus Christ to this earth. I'm gonna demonstrate it. I am going to show them I love them. And then he goes on that he demonstrates his love for us that while we were still in sin, that Christ died for us. That's why we're a Jesus church. It's the love of God alone that can safeguard and protect and maintain the value of every human being. We remember that it's the spirit of God 
that came and brought this new kind of community into being that would change the entire world. And so let me just, would you maybe just possibly ask this question to yourself today? God, how would you like me to be a vehicle of your compassion into the people I look at as I walk through my world? God, how would you like me to be a vehicle of your compassion into people I look at as I walk through my world because this movement is still going on and going forward. See, in the ancient world, it's just the way it went. If you got sick and you had no money, you weren't related to family. There's no, there's no family around. Nobody's to care for you. You know, it's about 165 AD, and there was an epidemic, and it might have been smallpox. We're not sure. It wiped out between a third and a fourth of the po- population. Emperor Marcus Aurelius died from it. Then another one in about 250 AD, again, wiped out a third of cities in the Roman Empire. Can you imagine the panic that went on? It was ugly. Greek historian Thucydides writes about how people in Athens responded during the plague, and he writes, they died, there was no one to look after them. Indeed, there were many houses in which all the inhabitants' parents perished through lack of any intention for care. The bodies of the dying were heaped up, one on top of the other. But there was this little group. There was this band of people, and this happened, that they remembered they followed a man who would touch lepers even though they were unclean. And he told his disciples, go out and heal the sick. Go out and do this in my name. And there was this little community of men and women and no money, no power, but they remembered the one who spoke these words that I want to speak into your hearing today of Matthew 25, 31 through 46 that you've heard so many times. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. Surely I say to you, and as much as you did to one of the least of these, my brother, and you did it, to me. Do you have any idea how these words changed the way people in this little movement looked at a human being? They saw something different. They looked at the life of Jesus and they were changed. Somehow Jesus is present in the lowliest, most humble, most hurting, most alone. This really happened, but it is really the wonder of love coming down. In the 300s, a follower of Jesus by the, by the name of Basil got this idea. Basil had the idea. He thought, of, what if we build a place to love and care for lepers? They don't even have money. They don't have a place even to pay for it. We'll raise the money. By the way, that's the beginning of what is known as hospitals, Council of Nysa. There was a follower of Jesus by the name of Henry Dunnett. He couldn't stand the sound of soldiers crying out on a battlefield after they had been wounded. So he said, I will devote my life to helping them in Jesus' name. And they started an organization that became known as the Red Cross. So every time you see the Red Cross, you see a little thumbprint of Jesus. A Lutheran pastor, Theodore Fleidner, trained a group of mostly peasant women to nurse the sick. And this led to a movement of hospitals all throughout Europe and inspired a young woman named Florence Nightingale to give her life to care for the sick. And when she died, she asked this, could there just be a cross of Jesus with my initials? No name to mark the grave because she wanted to serve with no acclaim. Do you understand the notion 
that every human individual, regardless of whether or not there's an ethnic connection, family relationship, regardless of intelligence, status, or wealth, every human being is of immense, sacred, equal worth and has an equal claim on Jesus' compassion. Everyone. Everyone. And it's an idea that was brought to us by a penniless carpenter that lived 2,000 years ago. I wonder, I wonder today where he wants you to be a conduit to share the wonder of God's compassion on people who don't look like they're wearing a crown, but are. I'm wondering where he's waiting for you to see a prince or a princess in your world today. Once there was a community on this earth where Paul said in Galatians, now in Jesus there's no longer slave or free, no longer male or female, no longer Jew and Gentile. We are just one. We're one in him. Can I go on and tell you another story? A guy by the name of John Newton who made his money buying and selling human beings and lived a really depraved life, met Jesus. And over the years, it eventually cut him to the core and he ended up becoming a pastor and a hymn writer. He wrote the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. That same man was changed by a penniless carpenter. A couple of years, hundred years ago, a woman named Elizabeth Fry was so struck by what Jesus said. She started going, this is a single woman going to this place, Newgate Prison, every day. Her heart was so filled with compassion for people living in this hellhole. She started a reform movement, become known as the Angel of Prison. Leaders from all over Europe would come to learn what she was doing. A guy closer to our day who has now passed on is Chuck Colson, living way up high at the top of the ladder finds more compassion, finds more power to live with Jesus in prison than he found at the White House. He had devoted over 30 years. A lot of important people ended up in prison one way or another, and they get out. He spent more than 30 years devoting his life to helping prisoners in hell holes all over the world. Mm, that came from a penniless rabbi. See, I wonder where he wants you to see the sons and daughters the king today. You know, you've probably heard this somewhere or another, but you know, we'll become in our lives whoever the people we love the most say we are. Think about that. So you have Moses, the leader, who says, I, I can't even talk right. And, and God looks at him and says, you're the leader. You're the leader of my people. And he spoke it into him. Noah, you're going to be a sailor, man. You can't see this right now, but you're going to sail. I want you to build this ark, and I want you to get your family and all that will listen to you that you get them, and you line the animals up, and you get them in this, you get them in the ark, and you get them there, and you build this. And so he said, Noah, you're going to be a sailor. And man, you think about the daunting task of that. That's, that's incredible. And then you see Peter. Peter, you're the rock. What? Peter's like, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm not the rock. Oh, God, I won't deny you, and you'll, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows and all of that and you know and then it goes on and on and on that we we really do relish the people that we love the most who say who we are and are becoming change the way we look at children in the ancient world when a child was born it 
It could simply be left to die. And that wasn't even considered scandalous or a terrible thing. That they were disposable. And the Roman writer Seneca writes, we drown children at birth who are weakly and abnormal. There was a common Latin name which meant from the ash heap. From the ash heap. Abortion, infanticide, selling into slavery. It's just the way the world worked. You know? But except for this tiny community, did you realize Jesus' communities value life? Amen? Let me, let me tell you something. Long before the sanctity of life became a political issue, it was God's idea. Man, if I can tell you something that just burdens my heart, it's young lives being taken. That, you know, as I come to share with you today, I was like, well, I could preach this, I could preach this, but I kept coming back to this message, kept coming back to this message on compassion. I struggled, I wrestled with the Lord. God, what is it that you're saying? I believe this really is a message for us today, but see, they remembered somebody they followed, somebody who said, don't keep the children away, you let them come to me put his hands on them and he blessed them. And in that world, children were a very low status and they remembered they followed the one who said, unless you become like a child, you can't even enter the kingdom of God. Nobody was saying that. Nobody was saying that before Jesus came along. No. We, we love little children even if they're not ours. And the earliest instruction to the church was called the Didache, way back in the first century. It said, you shall not commit infanticide. You shall not abort a child. This little community began to prize children. That was what become known as the beginning of orphanages. And little by little, year by year, what became a civilization, a way of life, looked at children, saw something that people didn't used to see, and we have inherited that. We have benefited from that. Every person in this room has benefited from that even if you don't know where it came from, but that everybody matters to God, everybody. And I wonder where Jesus wants to use you. People understand who Jesus is by watching how you and I treat others. And we exist to learn to abide in Jesus, and to walk with Jesus, and to grow in Jesus, to be loved by Jesus, so we can be his hands and his feet in a have-not the reality is people have, that may have a lot of money or education are still and can still be spiritually bankrupt. Nobody is a have on human power alone. Nobody. But Jesus is expecting that what happened at one time through him and then through his little community will break out right here again. You know, Erwin McManus, pastor, said this. People have this strange feeling that if they have a regular job, they're not doing the work of Jesus. Instead of creating a missionary mentality, we create a mercenary mentality where we pay people to do the things we refuse to do. Whew, that's powerful. So compassion is something you do because it moves you. Look, listen to me. If you see something... In our world, it seems off, and you're hurt in the gut. That's compassion. Don't deny that. Compassion has everything to do with what's inside of you, your gut. Like, mm, that hit me. 
That's compassion. That's compassion. So, what we set to do is lead our generation in a transforming relationship with Jesus, an authentic community in our neediness and brokenness so all the lost ones and the forgotten ones and the trash ones, ones around us can flourish. So, this week, maybe you'll look again at the compassion, at the life of Jesus, read through the Gospels, just look through them, and maybe you want to ask the question, what's the need, what's the hurt, or the injustice that makes my heart beat fast? What is that that makes your heart beat fast? You need to listen to that. You need to put your hand up on your heart sometimes. You're feeling these things. You need to put your hand up there. My heart's beating fast. I can feel it. My body is reverberating because of this situation. It's God. He's speaking to you. That's how God works. Recognize that. Do something about that. Your heart's beating fast over a circumstance and situation that needs the compassion and the love of God. That's what this is about. Do something. Do something. So today I know that as you come that there are people here in all different seasons of your life today. There are people right here in our midst today. You're hurting. There are people right here that you feel forgotten. My prayer for you is today that you would feel the compassion and the love of God. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of believers in this room that could just come and surround you and just encourage you and lift you up. You're not forgotten. You're not forgotten. You're not forgotten. God cares and knows about where you're at today. He knows right where you're at and you're hurting your pain. Others, maybe you're just in, in your heart today, you're just, a, you're just a little cold. You're a little standoffish on things like this. When things hit your gut, you, you, you turn it away, you pass it by, you stiff arm it. I don't want anything to do with it, but that I pray that the Spirit of God would soften your heart today. People in our world need compassion, man, I tell you, than ever before. People aren't as resistant to God as we think they are. They're, they're really hungry for God. They're open to conversations that are are life-giving. Man, what would it do if you walked up to somebody this week and said, you're a king, you're a, you're, you're, you're a prince, you're a princess, man. I mean, you'd probably totally catch them off guard. Do you know who you are? You have a crown. Man, we don't hear much of this in our day, especially in this season. We're too busy. We've got so much going on. Stop, take a moment, and may the love of God move you to compassion, compassion, care, love for the least of these. And when you do it for them, you've done it unto me, the Lord Jesus.